The following program is sponsored by Grant Stern. This is the Only in Miami show, sponsored by Morningside Mortgage Corporation of Bay Harbor Islands. Tonight's show is hosted by Grant Stern. Find out more about our sponsor at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. That's onlyinmiamishow.com. Well, if you're in the car, enjoy this track, kick those shoes off, and relax. We've got a fantastic show planned for you tonight. We've got two amazing in-studio guests. So tonight, we're going to be listening to music from Slip and Slide Records all night with founder Ted Lucas. He's in the studio live to discuss one of Miami's best-known music production companies. Uh, They produce Trina, Trick Daddy, and Rick Ross, and we're going to listen to some new music as well. And Ted is going to be with us in studio for the first half of the show tonight. And then later, we're going to speak with Al Sunshine, the legendary investigative reporter who is part of the Miami Pine Rocklands Coalition, Uh, The Miami Pine Rocklands Coalition is very active right now fighting a project called Coral Reef Commons, which is intended to go into an area literally right next door to Metro Zoo and pave over one of Miami's most endangered forests to pop a Walmart. But this is part of the part of the program where I get a few minutes to speak directly with you, the listening audience, about issues of importance that affect us in Miami-wide and sometimes beyond. And today I wanted to speak about a story that I broke and Miami Herald picked up and put on the front page on Saturday about the Florida legislature seeking to cut funding to the New World School of the Arts in downtown Miami. Regular listeners will know that I am an alumni of the New World School of the Arts, and it is a seminal institution in Miami-Dade County, not just for the arts, but for the students. For you see, there is an entire system of magnet schools in South Florida and the magnet school programs give students the opportunity to learn special skills and to advance their studies in a numerous variety of fields, not just in the arts, but recently the design and architecture senior high school or dash was named one of America's top 100 high schools. It's another one of the magnet schools and it gives students the opportunity to learn more about the graphic arts design And it's located in Miami's design district. Well, these programs are extremely important to give these bright students who are attending public schools and New World School of the Arts is a public institution, the opportunity to advance to these high schools based on merit and to take special courses that are not offered at their home schools. In the case of New World School of the Arts, all of the students travel from all across the county which results in commutes anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half for these students who go downtown and they're on the Miami-Dade Wolfson campus where they have been for about 30 years now. And for all of those years, the state legislature has provided a stipend to the school which pays for its arts programming. And that is the difference between the New World School of the Arts and going to a home school. 
Because at a home school, all of the arts that have to be funded basically by the parents. Uh, at the New World School of the Arts, there's a little bit of money there. When you think about it in these terms, not a lot of money. It's a $650,000 appropriation for a school of about 450 kids. So it's barely $1,500 per child right now. Well, in 1984, when the New World School of the Arts was founded, the Florida State Legislature, they gave the school a million dollars. That would be worth $2.4 million in today's terms. That would be what full funding of the New World School of the Arts is. On Friday, to my dismay, I discovered that the New World School of the Arts had no funding appropriation in Florida's House, and the Senate only wanted to give $20,000 to the New World School of the Arts. Now, to tell you how absurd this idea is to defund the school whose alumni have produced Cocaine Cowboys, Oscar winner Moonlight, uh, In the Heights, and Hamilton, and many, many, many other shows and uh, live music acts and uh, dancers, uh, uh, including the head of the Alvin Ailey dance troupe. I mean, the, the list could go on and on and on. And I'm giving short shrift to everybody else and all of my fellow alumni. Uh, but this is a very, very fertile idea because it gives all these magnet programs somewhere where the top students can go. But it also, you know, brings a cultural capital to South Florida that we lacked that we lacked for a long time. And it brings these people back to South Florida often. And it's one of the most important arts institutions, not just in Miami and not just in Florida, but in all of the Southeast. Well, after a lot of telephone calls, the legislature only agreed to restore $500,000 of the $650,000 funding level. Now, to tell you how much support the school has, this is one of the rare issues where the governor, Rick Scott, and I agree. Rick Scott had full funding for the $650,000 to New World School of the Arts, and the legislature still cut it, which is pretty appalling. And it's still upsetting that they're going to get a 23% cut in a surplus year where the state can afford to fully fund the $2.4 million in real dollars that they believe the institution needs to flourish. But we're waiting to see what happens because the deadline is tomorrow. So if you've seen the article in the Miami Herald, if you want to reach out to your state representatives, this is the time. Tell them to fully fund the New World School of the Arts. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, Podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiamishow.com. And we are back live with Ted Lucas, the founder of Slip and Slide Records. Ted, thank you so much for making it into the studio today. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So I wanted to, to bring you in here so you could tell our audience a little bit about how you started Slip and Slide Records and what it takes to make it in the music biz because it's not easy. It Definitely is not, not easy. easy. Definitely not easy. Uh, I started off as a club promoter first. That was the first thing I started off doing, doing just local clubs here in South Florida and uh, with a good friend of mine by the name of Hollywood who was Trick Daddy's brother. Okay. Uh, he passed away. Let him rest in peace. Oh, um, and he told me about his little brother, Trick Daddy, that could rap, you know. Uh, during that time while we were doing concerts, Trick Daddy was a little knucklehead and he was getting in trouble and constantly <laughs> staying in trouble. And uh, he actually uh, got incarcerated at oh. 15 years old. Oh, jeez. So those kids that's out there that you know might have had a little bumpy road getting started, it let you know. Trick Daddy is an example that you might start off you know crazy from the beginning, but you can get back on the right track and get yourself together. So while he's incarcerated, everybody's calling us, telling us about how good of a rapper he is and how right. good he's doing and all this. And uh, I made a promise to him that when he come home, as long as he can stay out of trouble, I will take every brown penny I got and invest in him. And you know, by the blessings of God, I was able to fulfill my obligation to tell him what I did, and we've been able to sell millions and millions of records. You know. Yeah, well, you know, it's 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 a great story because a lot of people don't realize that he had so much trouble Correct. and then, you know, like moved past that adversity. Correct. Correct, definitely. You know, to be one of the one of the artists to put Miami hip hop music on the map, and like I said, as a young kid to get in a situation, but I seen something in him. I seen the talent, and a lot of people, uh, you know, just because someone had you know a, a rough situation or got into something, they turn their head on or don't put the trust in them and try to help that kid get back on the right track. And I believed in him, and uh, I was able to help him get back on the right track, and he helped, you know, help the foundation of Miami music scene here in South Florida with him and Luther Campbell. So so he gets out, and then how did it really, like, start? Did you guys start uh, – did, did it hit big online, or did it hit big in person, or one, then the other? How how did all that it, go down? It's funny. You say online. Yeah. And night. 1996, there was really no online music. There was like a, a little, <laughs> bit, little bit. A little bit. bit. Nah, yeah, it definitely was not online. He started in the streets, just yeah. every nightclub. We really um, took it upon ourselves to go to every nightclub every night. It's called the street team. And you would, you have a meeting in your staff. We'll work all day during the day. And at 6 p.m., we're going to every happy hour that exists in every nightclub. So you'll have a, a street team that would leave the office at 6 p.m. And from 6 p.m. to being in Miami, maybe 6 in the morning. Right. You're yeah, going getting to, out there yeah, on South Beach, there. handing South out all those Beach, flyers. On both sides of the bridge from Cutler Ridge, the homestead, all the way back to Fort Lauderdale. You out here working and you, you got a list of what clubs you got to go to that night and make sure that the record get played. And back then, we didn't have a phone that we can videotape and say, hey, yeah, they played the record. So I had yeah, to right. take people word that, you know, the record got played that night. 
And we started to see the sales effect, and we knew that it was working. Basically okay. going to every club every night, making sure the record get played. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, wow, man. Yeah, yeah, I think people realize that that goes on, you know? Yes. It's very important. you got to have a team that believes in your project and believes in the vision. And then their job is, you know, I tell everybody, the music business don't stop. You know what I'm saying? So we come in the office. Sometimes we get in the office around 11 o'clock. We got a little better hours of getting in because we've been in the club all night. But I definitely expect you to get in before lunch, you know, and then the crew get back in and we tell everybody what happened last night and the response to the record, and we back at it. We're on the phones all day, and back then we had to call record stores to make sure that the records was in the stores back then. So There you go. It's a long, lot of work that was done during that time. Well, you know, I, I think people don't realize that that's like market testing, you know, like that's Correct. that's what goes into actually making a successful record, not just – well, we're going to put it out there because now everybody's just like, well, you know, if you put it out there, it'll all happen. Yeah, no. They I, feel like that'll go. They feel like that work. But I'm going to tell you something. For every successful artist you see, it's an incredible team that's behind it that know a little something, and they're working their butt off to make everyone know. Because just because you put the record out, you still have to market and promote it and do a lot of things to make sure the record spreads throughout the world now. Before, it was spreading throughout Florida and throughout the United States. But now we can put a record out, and it's in Japan tomorrow. You know? Right. So I, I love that. <laughs> Right. There, you see, that's the thing. There's the trade-offs, right? Yes. It's like before you, you had to hit in Miami and Correct. then you get in Florida. Yep. And then Georgia and you keep spreading and spreading. And then you have the southeast on regional lot. And then you'll get New York and then you'll get the West Coast. Not no more. If you got a good team, uh, I've seen a record get released on today and they got a million streams by tomorrow morning. Right. You know, so oh, yeah. that's a big difference. That means a million people listen to your record in 24 hours. That is huge. It is huge. Yeah. yeah no. And it, it, that's that's kind of a magic number. I mean, you have a million reads on something, a million listens. Yes. A lot of eyeballs. A lot of know? eyeballs, you know, in, yeah. in, in 24 hours. That's a lot of eyeballs. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so how did you meet Trina? Did you meet her around the same time? or? I love this story. I tell this story. So you wouldn't believe it, but Trina was Hollywood girlfriend. Okay. Can you believe that? It was Hollywood girlfriend, and Trick Daddy came home, and he said, I got this record. The record is called Nan. And I want to get Trina on the record. I'm saying, man, Trina don't rap. What are you talking about? You want to get Trina on the record. Trust me, she can do it. She can do it. She's going to give it from a girl point of view, and she's going to be aggressive on the record. And the record came out. It was a smash. The record went through the roof. And I got to give him props. I give Trick Daddy all the props for Nan. This is the record that changed every, changed the whole record company, changed our life. I think it was 1998. It was the Super Bowl in Miami. Yeah, I was here for that Super Bowl. You remember that Super Bowl? All right, so I'm going to tell you a little story. I was living in Atlanta at the time. You were living in Atlanta at the time. I'm going to tell you a little story. We we as a staff, from Debbie Bennett and Michael Hopkins, we had a great staff. We knew that everyone that was coming in town for that weekend, and we said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to find all the hottest clubs that's going on, and we're going to make a guy stand next to the DJ all night. So every five records that you heard, they had to play Nan. We had to. That's Listen, a great idea. Representing, we Miami. You're going to represent Miami. You got to let everybody who's coming in town let them know what's the hottest record in Miami right now. So we found out every nightclub, and we put – we called them security guards. We put security guards next to DJ <laughs> and make sure that he was very comfortable and he was Sound happy. security. Sound security. That's what it was. Sound security. Nobody else bothered the DJ. He's busy right now. So <laughs> we made sure every five tongues. If you Back then was um, – Amnesia, I believe the club was back okay, then. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. you know, nightclubs like that. And we, we made sure every five songs that they heard the song. And trust me, Monday morning, every record company in the United States of America was in my lobby. And they had to negotiate with me. Not me running to New York, begging for a record deal. It was the other way around. From Sony, from Atlantic, from Universal. 
they always sitting in my That's little awesome. lobby in Miami Gardens, Florida. And I never forget that story. It's a great situation to be in. That is a great story. I mean, you know, it's like free advertising up to Atlanta. There's a huge scene up there at the time. That's when Outcast yes uh, was recording and uh, Usher yes and um, yeah, just all those great great groups great that groups. were up there in Atlanta at Le that very time. Yep. Yes, competition back then for me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. That's that's a great story. So so I mean. That's really like when things took off. Yes. After that. Yeah, that was the one that took off, like I said. And, um, and who did you choose? Who did you start working with? a good story. So uh, Atlantic Records would come in. I would tell them the number and the percentage in the deal because I wasn't only in the deal uh, for myself. I was representing the artists as well. I'm sure. one of those guys I tell everybody. But in the musical business, the artist is not an artist to me. They're my business partner. That's and right. I want to be fair as, partner, fair as possible to my business partner. They get them the best deal possible as well. So Sony was in there, and I tell him, no, nah, those numbers are not right. Go back out. Get on the phone with your boss. Universal was in there. Like, no, nah, that's not going to work. Get on the phone with your boss. So I'm in my office, and I'm having the CEO of these major companies going in and out of my office, getting back on the phone with corporate in New York on how to negotiate the deal. And we got the deal up pretty high. You know, we definitely great negotiating with all those in the office. And uh, about, see, about 5 o'clock in the morning, we decided to sign with Atlantic Records. It's like we just finished the NFL draft. But this is one yeah. of those situations I really enjoyed it. I came to work, I came to work uh, that Monday after the Super Bowl, and everybody's in my office. And I'm talking about, you imagine, you're getting to work 8 o'clock in the morning, and to f- almost 24 hours, we're in there negotiating with my attorney, their attorneys, and seeing who's going to make the best deal. And they're always here in sunny South Florida negotiating. So did anybody go to Disney World afterwards? Uh, we, didn't go to- <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get Disney World, but the bank account got Disney World. Sure, sure. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so how did you meet the boss? Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, people may – everybody knows who Rick Ross is, yes, I think. Yes, yes. How'd you meet the boss? I got, like I told you, everyone, I have an incredible uh, staff. Uh, one of my artists by the name of Josh, they know him as Red. He came to me and told me about this rapper that attended Kara City High School, and his name was Rick Ross. And, and explain for our audience, what's an A&R? An A&R, okay. This is the guy that would go out and do whatever it takes to discover an artist. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He would develop the artist and... It helped the artist with everything, help make the music, help get it all together, and give them direction and everything. He was mm-hmm. the one that go out and discover artists. So sure. yeah. back in the day, you have to go to nightclubs to find an artist. But Aaron on now, they can find you on social media. Sure. They can find you on YouTube. SoundCloud. Can, SoundCloud. There's so many different ways now a are discovering artists. So this guy in particular, he was out. And back then, it was a big, heavy mixtape scene out on the scene. So he brought me this mixtape on this guy by the name of Rick Ross. And I heard the music. And what he kept telling me about it, I kept listening to him. I'm like, we got to sign this guy. We come to find out he was in the contract already with a record company by the name of Suave House. And uh, we ended up buying his contract away from Oh, wow. Yeah, we bought his contract uh, away from Suave House and brought him back to South Florida. He was in a contract with a record company out of Houston, Texas. Oh. Yeah, we brought him back to South Florida and went to work. Yeah. Oh, you always hear stories about these contracts. Yeah. The Godfather with the horse's head. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, I mean, it can't be that easy to do that. How do you go about that? No, that's my job. I tell everybody, I don't rap. I don't sing. I don't do nothing. My job is to get in there and make sure that we get the best contracts possible. And I mean, I sit down all night reading and reviewing the contract and learning and understanding it. And I don't care if I got to get three attorneys review it and give me three attorneys review 
uh, their opinion on it. And this makes sure what makes the most sense. So my job is to stay on that and just get the best deal for me and my partners, not artists, my partners. Well, on that note, we're going to take a very short break. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at OnlyInMiamiShow.com, iTunes, Podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at OnlyInMiamiShow.com. And we're back with Ted Lucas, the founder of Slip and Slide Records. Ted, thank you so much for joining us in the studio today. Thank you for having me. So we were talking about the boss, yes. and you signed him away from the Houston Record Company. And then what happened? How did that? How did he go from... This obscure rapper who was signed with like has signed a deal like on the other side of the country, yeah. you know, because weird. Like when you think about it, like when somebody is like kind of a local artist and then they get signed like way far away, it's like, well, why didn't somebody local sign them? You know, exactly. So, exactly. so how'd that how'd that evolve? You know, I, I, the company in Houston, Texas, they seen the talent in him, but they didn't know what to do with him. And I told him, he's from Miami. Let me bring him back home. Let him represent his home uh, city and do what he has to do. So Had I he moved him, out there? He moved out there and everything. Oh, yeah. He was out there recording, making music. But they didn't know what to really do with him. So I brought him back to Miami, got him in the studio, and everybody understand It was not an overnight success. Trick and Trina selling millions of records, and they're the, 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 they're the face of the label. So Rick Ross had to wait his turn. And I tell you, man, he probably waited at least five to six years before he really got a big break. He started writing songs for Trina, featuring on songs with Trick Daddy and Trina, but nobody knew who he was. And I knew that he was a boss. I knew that he was a star. And it's very frustrating for him as an artist to wait that long for his own project to come out. And uh, I just kept telling him, man, Rick Ross is very, at the time, he was very lyrical. So he made records that was uh, for New York people to understand. There was a lyrical content to it. And I told him, for him to have a hit record, he had to dumb it down a little bit. And he went in the studio and made this Interesting. record. Yeah, he had to dumb it down and make it for the simplest form. I'm a big hook guy. I tell everybody, if you got a, a hook and beat, 
people find out what the song is about later. They want that hook to catch them and that beat that they can dance to or they it's can true. feel, and then they'll learn what this song is about. What is it? Right, right. They so start important. dancing to it, they and then dancing. they're like, oh, what's that going? Yeah. What's this song about? Exactly. Yeah. But you first got to get their attention. And he made this song called Every Day I'm Hustling, Hustling, Hustling. There you go. And, boy, I mean, they went through the roof. From Big shout-out to DJ Khaled. He was the first DJ to play the record on 99 Jams. And uh, the record took off from here in Miami to Atlanta, Greg Street, 103 The Beat played it, then Funkmaster play, Flex played it in New York, and that was it. Yeah, well, it's got a great repeating line. Yes. That, I mean, that's like all hook. All hook. It, it, it's a song that's like all hook, and then he like raps over exactly. the hook. Exactly. He just ride the beat so well. So he did a great job, and he represented Miami. The video was incredible, and we finally found that record. And, man, I mean, I knew he was a boss when I first met him, and he's a big guy, not a little guy, you know, and he, he definitely had that presence about him. That you knew once this guy get in, his foot in the door, it was over. I tell everybody. I, I never seen so many people walk around with their beard and bald heads looking like Rick Ross. <laughs> Everywhere we went, everybody was looking like Rick Ross. That's true. That's yeah, true. He yeah. inspired people. He inspired you know? people to grow their beard and cut their hair off. I mean, we'd go to concerts, and it was all, a whole bunch of fat guys out there in the, <laughs> in the crowd with bald heads and beard. <laughs> that's a popular look. A Very popular, popular look. look. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. How, how is he doing? Because, you know, we all, we all heard about health problems. Is he, like, uh, everything okay Man, now? Because we haven't heard about him for a while. I, I'm proud of him because Good. he took his health situation and got in tip-top shape, man. This guy probably lost about 100 pounds. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, he lost about 100 pounds. Uh, he's in top shape. He's working out constantly. If you check him out, he call it Ross Fit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he call it Ross Fit, and he's constantly working out, taking care of himself, man. And I told him to see that because some people will ignore the health situation and just keep going. But he's definitely taking good care, good care of himself, and he's in good shape right now. He's doing pretty good for himself. Yeah, I know. It's very important. I mean, you know – Bad things can happen very quickly. Just look at Prince, for example. Yeah, you know, I believe it exactly. You know, it's shocking. Like when these things happen, yeah. But. And, and you got to do something about it. You know, when you see something, sometimes we ignore it and you know think that it's not that important and it's gonna be all right. No, nah, you got to do something. You can't eat yourself to death. You know what I'm saying? Or you can't smoke I think or whatever it is. That's Bob Marley you. is actually like one of the best examples. He yeah. had toe cancer, and, exactly, and kept ignoring know, it, and they ignored it, and then you know. He lost a part of his foot, and yeah, it was too late, yeah. you know. And exactly, and that's it. Now it's just the Whalers that are out here playing. That's <laughs> they're true. still that's out it. though. They're still they're, out. They're, yeah, definitely. So, so what's on the horizon? What are you guys up to now? What's next? Oh uh, man, we got some great new artists that we're developing right now. I'm so excited about one's the name. One of the artists named Tanier. We just found she's a 19 year old female uh, from South Florida. Uh, she got a great record out. She had a record with Sage the Gemini by Friday night, and she just released a new record called uh, Something Else that we're excited about her. She's performing this weekend at the Rolling Loud Festival at Bayfront. It's a big festival oh, here. Oh, okay. It's a big, big festival this weekend. Uh, oh, let's get some info on that yeah, so, so yeah. our audience so can go She's going to be representing South Florida very well. They got some big artists on the show, uh, Kendrick Lamar, uh, Future and a couple of people, but Tanier is one that's going to be representing Slip and Slide in Miami this weekend at the uh, Rolling Loud Festival. Oh, that's very, very cool. Yeah, Kendrick Lamar, Lil Wayne, ASAP yeah. Rocky. That's that's a good lineup, man. Good lineup. Around the Jewels. Oh, yes, yeah. Exactly. They're a lot of fun. I saw them at the Fillmore recently. They did. Nice. Yeah, they did. Oh, yeah. So that's this weekend yes. at Bayfront Park. Yes. And uh, the website's rollingloud.com. Uh, but we're going to take a listen to some of her music, right? We have it queued up. Let's let's take a listen before we go to break. I'm still tripping about last night. I don't want to be a fool. 
Wow, that's nice, man. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it feels like Power 96 yes, on here. You, you hit it around the head. <laughs> Power 96, add the record tomorrow. That's right. <laughs> yes. Wow. So are we the first radio play You're for the, the first song? radio station. That's the truth. First so radio that's station here in South Florida play it. Worldwide premiere yeah, right Yeah, we was waiting out the Rolling Loud to go sit down with Power 96. <laughs> that's right. Well, you heard it here first, yes. folks. And uh, Ted, it's been a pleasure. Thank a real you, pleasure. So where can our audience find out more about Slip and Slide? Do you have a Twitter account or Instagram yes. account you'd like for my, people my to follow Twitter, along? I mean, my Instagram is I am Ted Lucas. That's mine. You can check me out there. And you can go to slipandslidecords.net uh, to check out the website and all the up-and-coming artists and all the great things that we got coming up. And, you know, we, we over 20 years here in South Florida, you know, I tell everybody. I didn't uh, intern at a big record company in New York or nothing like that. I started right here in South Florida, born and raised in Carroll City. And being able to make some great hit records and help some artists become be superstars. So, thanks for having me. Now that's a true only in Miami story. Only in Miami story. Yes, it is. Well, again, thanks for coming, and we'll be right back. This is the only in Miami show. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiamishow.com. And we're back with Al Sunshine with the Miami Pine Rocklands Coalition. Al, thank you so much for joining me in the studio today. Grant, my pleasure. Everything's going real well. Glad to see you're doing so well. Keeping very busy as always. So, got to ask you, what is going on with the Miami Pine Rocklands? Specifically, it's the area that's out by Metro Zoo. I know that you've been deeply involved with the Miami Pine Rocklands Coalition, and there is a fight on your hands right now. Absolutely. I'll, I'll put it this way. It's almost like we're in the Super Bowl. It's the fourth quarter, getting close to the two-minute warning. We have between now and May 22nd, to try to generate any kind of informed critical protest, basically, to let the federal government know that developing one of the largest remaining Pine Rockland fragments down here for a Walmart, a strip mall, a 900-unit high-density apartment complex uh, that's home to roughly a dozen endangered and threatened species is unacceptable. And I could tell you, as a resident of South Dade, traffic down there is already absolutely horrendous. 
and to basically say it's acceptable to pave over and bulldoze the last green space that is a globally imperiled pine rockland habitat, Grant, it's only found only in Miami, only in South Florida, basically. That's right. No, this is here. really only in Miami. And it's now, something that just can't stand. Well, I've heard that uh, the Everglades pine rocklands are also a threatened habitat. And, you know, that they are actually, like, distinct from the pine rocklands that we're talking about in Miami here in the city, right? Oh, absolutely. And and the reason why the Everglades pine rocklands are a threat is basically you've got water quality issues that affects us all, whether you're a plant, a bat, or, or a school child. We have water quality issues and water availability issues, number one. And talking about water, officials at Everglades National Park are very, very concerned about climate change and sea level rise. And we know that in the event if we do see a flooding of Everglades National Park from Florida Bay or the Atlantic or whatever, or an increase in uh, saltwater contamination of the freshwater aquifer down there, and that Pine Rockland, uh, Long Pine Key, the northern edge of the park, right. if that ends up being flooded out or degraded for just Mother Nature, natural environmental issues, the Richmond Pine Rocklands and the very, very imperiled Pine Rocklands of South Dade are going to be the only habitat for a lot of endangered and rare plants and animals down there. So we consider the Richmond Pine Rocklands, as well as a, a real natural gem, a potential lifeboat habitat when sea level rise occurs in South Florida. Not if, but when. when. Yeah, that's a very important distinction to make, by the way. So... What are some of the threats to the Pine Rocklands and the plan that these developers have come forward with to put a giant Walmart over the forest? Grant, the biggest threat to Pine Rocklands, which is a unique environmental habitat found only in South Florida that used to stretch from roughly parts of the Keys all the way up to North Miami and even in South Broward, is development draining the pine rocklands, cutting down the trees, cutting up the the rocky substrate, and basically development is the big killer. The biggest threat is us and the insatiable appetite for for developers and politicians to encourage more and more shopping centers, right. houses, and whatever. But, but more specifically, for people who want to give comment, what are some of the major technical deficiencies in their plan because they have made an application, the developers, uh, they've made an application to the federal government for a license to kill endangered species. And, uh, you know, the government, now that it's in the hands of Donald Trump, uh, put out a press release saying that the goal of the process was to uh, hurry up so these people can pave over uh, this imperiled forest. But they still have to accept some forms of comment, right? And Absolutely. By, by federal law, which whether the Trump administration wants to ignore federal law or not, 
we have the right of having our voices heard and overwhelmingly residents, not developers, not greedy politicians, residents are saying, save it, don't pave it. We don't want our pine rocklands destroyed. We want our children to be able to see bats and beetles and snakes and trees. And more importantly, the South Florida aquifer, every acre of, of rockland or, or, or dirt that you end up paving you end up closing up the ability of Mother Nature to be able to create fresh water. Your question directly was, what are some of the biggest concerns and the biggest problems? Right. And if people want to leave is, their own comment, what are the issues that they should address in their comments? Okay. Number one is continued fragmentation, according to the federal government itself, is the number one threat to the pine rocklands. Fragmentation means you take a big habitat and you chop it up. Well, if you're going to put a shopping center and a Walmart and 900-unit apartment complex in the middle of the largest pine rockland habitat outside of Everglades National Park, you're continuing fragmentation. Number two... Well, hold on, hold on. Let's, let's not speed through this because our audience has not heard all of this before. But fragmentation... Could that also mean like having different conservation plans for all the different parts of the Pine Rocklands forest? Well, that's one of the big concerns that we have, too, is that as you cut up a critically imperiled, globally imperiled habitat like the South Dade, Richmond, Pine Rocklands. I mean, how many you're entities taking a little are there? Section for Zoo Miami that's got right. its own plan. You've so got there's a little Zoo section Miami. for Larry and Penny Thompson Park that's okay. got its own plan. So, so the, You've a got county the Martinez Army Reserve Base that's got its own plan. Army Reserve. You've got the, the Federal Metropolitan Miami Correctional Institute that's down in the Pine Rock. Okay, so the federal prison so, is there. And so, also what, the Coast Guard? The Coast Guard base, and there's a Homeland Security base there that's got barbed wire fences and armed guards. Wouldn't go inside there. And isn't there also a University of Miami installation that's still there? Uh, the University of Miami has a SeaStars satellite monitoring system that is based there by the Coast Guard base. So the bottom line, as you so rightly point out, Grant, is there are a half dozen or more habitat plans for this one Rockland globally imperiled, and nobody's coordinating it. So there's a lack of coordination, and we've been urging that there be one major main habitat conservation plan and number one on the list for Pine Rockland maintenance is fire. It's a naturally occurring tool of Mother Nature to clean out the Pine Rocklands, to energize the seeds of the pine trees and the other Pine Rocklands habitat. So you have to burn it. Well, here's a real easy question. If you're living in an apartment complex with 900 units, how can you do that next to an endangered habitat that has to be burned or a school that they want to put in there? You want your kids going to a school that every couple of years there has to be a forest brush fire. fires. Yeah. And that's that's something that that the developers have a plan for. But we continue to argue that that plan is not sufficient to protect the dozen or more critically threatened, critically uh, endangered plants and animals that are there. It's a bad plan. It should not be approved.
Well, th- yeah, that's that's a huge problem. In fact, like I was doing a little bit of research on this, and the county has a whole brochure, and they call it the Lands of Fire, or my I prefer in Spanish, it just rolls off the tongue, Tierra del Fuego. I mean, is that safe? Like, wouldn't an asthmatic have a problem if you had to burn the forest and they lived near there? Of course. And it's not just an asthmatic. If you have any kind of allergies, if you have any kind of bronchitis, if you have any kind of eye problems, you can't be in heavy brush fire areas. It's incompatible. That's why people have not been, for the most part in the past, allowed to develop and 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 bulldoze and pave over these areas for commercial and residential development because they have to be burned. And you can't put a school in the middle of an endangered forest that has to be burned every three to five years because the kids are going to get sick, the teachers are going to get sick, anybody in the area has got the potential of getting sick. It's incompatible. It doesn't work. Now, there's a lot of these fragmented Pine Rockland-like areas throughout South Florida, right? Well, the good news, Dade County's Environmentally Endangered Lands Program has a listing of Pine Rockland habitats in South Florida. And you could almost see from from probably about Coral Gables South little pockets with signs, and it's like amazing because Look, in the middle of all this development, there's some pine trees and some palmettos, and oh, look, there's butterflies there and there's birds. And if you pull off the road to take a walk, my God, it's not 80 and 90 degrees with 100% humidity. They're cool, they're quiet. You're looking back into Miami's history because the reality is, for the most part, the existing pine rocklands that, for the most part, have been developed and cut down over the past 30, 40, 50 years, Grant, that's Miami's heritage. That's the way we used to be. That's what Kendall used to be. Coral Gables, Pinecrest, Palmetto Bay. It's all named after those native habitats that are long gone. Sure. I grew up in a suburb called Pine Acres, where we had a lot of these pine trees. But after Hurricane Andrew... There was a big problem with the pine trees, right? Yes. Threatening threatening the habitat, making it even more imperiled, is the, the Cat 5 winds of Hurricane Andrew weakened the trees enough that rather than being able to come back, they were susceptible to pine bark beetles, I believe, yep. and they just decimated them. So a lot of those damaged pine rockland areas Fortunately, we're replanted, and it shows they can come back if you just give Mother Nature a little help. Well, we're going to take a real short break, and we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Shut, I ain't petty, 
player, we buy the whole thing. See, most of my homies hustle, they still do their thing. My roof back, roof back, my money ride. I'm on the pedal, show you what I'm running like. When they snatch black, I cry for a hundred nights. He got a hundred bodies, serving a hundred lights. Every day I'm hustling, 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 every day I'm, every day I'm. We never steal cars, but we hard. Whip it real hard. Whip it, whip it real hard. Call the charge, I call the charge, whip it real hard, whip it, whip it real hard. Ain't about no funny stuff, still flipping them chickens. I'm on my money stuff, still whipping them beans. Major League, who catching because I'm pitching? Go shake and say go just snitching because he being itch. I feed them steroids to strengthen up all my chickens. They flying over Pacific to be specific. Triple C's, you know it's fact. We hold it set. So good and gone rat. Go on, run it, tell them that. Tell them that. Mo cars. Mo old. Mo old. Mo clothes. Mo clothes. Mo. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiamishow.com. And we're back with Al Sunshine talking about the Miami Pine Rocklands Coalition and the fight to save Miami-Dade's last largest stretch of native Pine Rocklands Forest. Al, thank you for joining us in the studio today. Grant, my pleasure. You've been a a very good follower of ours. You've been a very good supporter of ours. And as far as the media goes, I'd say you're probably the best person who understands what's at stake here. Well, it's it's a complex situation, as we've all discovered over the last three years. Um, And there's part of it I'd like to ask you about and get your opinion about. So the University of Miami is not what I would say the best steward of the environment. Uh, Not only did they sell this project to Walmart like after it was planned when people thought it was going to be an academic village, but they signed an agreement to end litigation with the federal government about 10 years ago because they had left a contaminated site in the forest. Is there an update on that? Because it's really unusual to have a nuclear Superfund site inside of an endangered forest. How did how did that, all that come about? And Grant, what's I can tell right you now? that as recently as last week, yeah. the director of Dade County Durham, Lee Hefty, told me yeah. he was not even aware of the settlement with the federal government to settle claims that for some 20 years – the University of Miami intentionally contaminated the Richmond Pine Rockland soil and water with the radioactive remains of dead lab monkeys. Oh my gosh! Well, what were they doing? Just why? Why did they have radioactive monkeys? Uh, from what I understand, and from my research, and from the federal records that I've been able to find. Basically, they were doing research on vaccines and research on the effects of some radioactive materials on primates. So it certainly looks as if they used some radioactive materials to inject 
primates, lab monkeys, and it, I guess when the monkeys died, they just basically took the remains of them and went out in the back and buried them in the Pine Rocklands. And it resulted in a $400,000 roughly settlement and a federal government cleanup. And there were some studies a few years later that found some additional contamination. And I sat down with the new president of the University of Miami, Dr. Julio Frank, about a year ago. And at that time, he and the main staff that was there denied any knowledge of it whatsoever. They said they weren't aware of it. The well, he, he developer just told year, us yeah. that he was not aware of it. And it begs the question of, during the whole zoning process, was any of this disclosed? At this point, we don't think it was. And it also begs the question... If the University of Miami paid a roughly $400,000 fine 10 years ago, you don't have that much of a turnover. That's what the legal office is for. Did they disclose it to the developer? Did, did they disclose it during the zoning process? And the Walmart, Panera Bread, uh, L.A. Fitness, uh, Chick-fil-A, all those people that have apparently signed up as possible tenants for this Coral Reef Commons project, it begs the question, were they even told about it? And then you get to the whole issue of the main financial bank that's financing the construction, Wells Fargo. Did they even know about it? Well, you know, in real estate, and I'm a real estate professional in, in a commercial real estate purchase the first thing you do, in fact, well, not the first thing, but the last thing, let's say, is you order what's called a phase one environmental report. And a few years ago, the rant of the developer uh, made an appearance at a public meeting, and he told me that they had only ordered what's called a phase one environmental report, which just covers aerial photographs, land use. They tell you what was the land used for. You know, do we recommend that you should get a, another report to tell you what's really going on on this property because there's environmental concerns? The developer said that they did not get one of those, a phase two environmental report, which is kind of crazy when you go to borrow $35 million. You know, like you would think somebody would actually try to find out what's going on, but they claim and that they didn't. wouldn't you think a bank, quote, too big to fail, like Wells Fargo, would do their due diligence. But when I contacted Wells Fargo, they basically said no, com no, no, you know, no comment. It's confidential between us and the and the customer. Yes. Well, Wells Fargo has been in the news for the wrong reasons for qu quite a, a, some time now. Uh, all the fake accounts that they made, and you know. At least they did take some of the money back from their executives who presided over that disaster. Um, but their reputation is still not very good. I mean, they're also financing the, the you know, the, what is it, the Dapple pipeline, right? So it's a tough deal there, tough deal. So, Al, what's coming up where people can get involved? Because I know that the Miami Pine Rockins Coalition has regular meetings. You guys have cleanups. You guys meet up. Um, all over town, and lately, because of this issue where you guys are seeking public comment, there's been a big increase in activity. So where do we begin? What's the next event for MPRC? 
Grant, thank you for opening to the door to that. First of all, I would urge anybody that wants us to to try to continue the fight. You want your voice to be heard. You have until May 22nd to let the federal government know that you oppose this project and that you don't think it should be built. Uh, you could go to our Facebook page, Miami Pine Rocklands, and go to our www.pinerocklands.org, miamipinerocklands.org website, get information. Uh, you can contact Tropical Autobahn Society. They're a partner of ours. Miami Sierra Club is a partner of ours. Center for Biological Diversity is a partner of ours. Uh, Urban Paradise Guild. So the bottom line is, if you have any information, please check out the Internet. We're going to be meeting. Our next meeting should be on May 17th between 8 and 9 at Tropical Autobahn's historic Doc Thomas House, which is made of South Dade Pine, believe it or not. Yes, and that's in South Miami. Yes. On Sunset and 55th Avenue. Red Road, Avenue. basically. Yeah, right right down the street from the studios here in lovely Blue Lagoon. So let's tell our audience where the next meeting is again, because you know, they might need to take this down. It's May 17th. What May, night is that? May, Thursday, May 17th, Tropical Autobahn, Doc Thomas House, roughly 5570 Sunset Drive, right off the intersection of Red Road and Sunset Drive, in South Miami from 8 to 9. No charge, whether you remember or not. If you want to learn more about saving the largest Pine Rockland strand outside of Everglades National Park from being bulldozed and paved over for a Walmart strip mall, please make your voice known. So the website is miamipinerocklands.org. Coalition. Coalition. Dot org, and we've got a very active Facebook group of about 1,200 people on Facebook as well. How do people find that? How do you find the Facebook group? You just type in Miami Pine Rocklands Coalition? Uh, Grant, believe it or not, the easiest thing to do is just hit up your Facebook app on whatever you're using to get in. Put in Miami Pine Rocklands, Miami Pine Rocklands Coalition. Okay. If, if you need to, do a Google search. There's tons of information. Well, it's important to know because these groups actually get a lot more interactivity, right, than just a page. Like, you can actually talk with people. Like, if oh, somebody absolutely. actually goes we've there, full, they can chat with you. We've got a full discussion forum, and we've, we've urged right. people to let us know it's not a one-way street. We absolutely want there to be conversations. Any questions you want, and Grant, believe it or not, we've got people that say, hey, we need to have Walmarts and we need to have more jobs for people. I think we also need to have more green space, guarantee the future of fresh air and fresh drinking water in South Florida it's, as well. The, you know what? Without fresh drinking water, without clean air, with, without these things, South Florida is not going to be such an enjoyable place. And without our, the only stretch of native forest, the largest stretch that's remaining, like you said, it's, it's like a lifeboat for these many endangered species. And once they're gone, they're gone forever. Grant, thank you very much for the time. It's an important issue for for our kids, for ourselves, and for our grandchildren. Thank you again. No, it's my pleasure, Al. Thank you for coming on the program. And please check out MiamiPineRocklands.org. Coalition.org. Okay, MiamiPineRocklandsCoalition.org. That's MiamiPineRocklandsCoalition.org. And that's all the time we have for tonight's program. I'd like to thank Ted Lucas for coming out, of course, Al. And every Monday night, we are here, 7 to 8 p.m. This is the Only in Miami show.